Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter and yet another special show, which we'll get to in a second. But this one is really near and dear to my heart. And you'll see why in a second. I'd like to thank our our great crew, as I always do. Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, does wonderful background research along with Sheridan Nygaard, who does research and um, our marketing. So thank you to all of you. And Matthew Campbell is our production manager, gets all these shows out to you, the listening audience. And then, of course, there's Clarence Jones, who's my co-host, unfortunately can't be with us today. He's got to attend a family funeral in Chicago, but he's got some great questions that I'll be able to pose to our to our great guest today. So thank you to all of you. Also, thanks to Human Partnership, Community Health Organization in the state of Minnesota. That's really second to none as far as promoting health for all of us, uh, no matter where you come from and what community you live in. They are uh, quite good. So you can check them out at humanpartnership.org. You can check us out, Health Chatter, at healthchatterpodcast.com. And just so everybody knows, we get all of our research notes out to you on our website so you can listen and read up as well. And also check out some of the different websites that we provide for you and your background interests. So thank you to you as well, the listening audience. Today, I have a great guest. Um, she and I go back a long, long way. Patty Wetterling is with us. We're going to be talking about, we've kind of titled this show, Sorrow, Hope, and Health. For those of you that have been um, in the, certainly in the state of Minnesota, um, the story that, that Patty brings to all of us and brought to the the forefront was the um, unfortunate abduction of her son, Jacob, back in uh, 1989. And um, it really was um, a sad, sad day. And, uh, and, but I will say this, that out of all of it um, came some hope and some, uh, hopefully, some some happiness. So uh, Patty was a stay-at-home mother uh, with her four children when, um, when the abduction of Jacob took place. Um, she has done incredible advocacy work that, to, to be quite honest with you, is really second to none. She's been on the... Uh, the board of directors for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and was the chair of that group as well. She's been a consultant in the Department of Justice, Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency on Sexual Violence and Prevention. She was um, a dear colleague of mine, even all those years, but then also um, at the Department of Health, where, um, and Patty will be able to allude to this, where she realized that not only was the issue itself a public safety issue, but also a public health issue. So we'll get into that in a minute. But um, many of the, the things as it relates to uh, um, child abduction 
in all the laws that have have been passed well these years much credit really goes to um patty and um and her her work and so many many thanks and um and i hope going forward for uh for you patty there will be um happiness so thanks for being with us today on on health chatter thank you stan it's good to hear your voice again yeah well it's it's like when that's what happened. it's kind of like with good colleagues you just pick up where you left off you know it's exactly. like good it's like good friends you know it's just like if you haven't seen each other for a while just pick up where you left off so all right so let's get this this show going here um a key question that really um drove my thinking about this is how was it you know all these years um, describe for me, I guess, the ups and downs of health. You know, when 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 you were dealing with it from the from the very beginning to actually where you are now, can you reflect on the ups and downs of health that you went through, whether it was physically or mentally, or both? Oh gosh, um, it was when Jacob was kidnapped. I, as you said, I was a stay-at-home mom. I knew nothing about child victimization who would do that i mean it was out of my realm of consciousness it was like it was like the the rug pull, being pulled out from under you so i had no foundation to stand on and um and our kids were uh, my oldest was 13 and jacob 11 trevor 10 and carmen was only 8 so you know immediately uh, everybody everybody was sick um, Carmen regressed a bit, started sucking her thumb again. And, you know, just, um, the stability of, of our lives was, was shaken to the, to the core. Yeah. So it was a, a matter of, of rebuilding and finding something you could, could hang on to, to, to move forward. And, you know, the hope is a, a critical ingredient in life you know i we had to hope and believe that jacob was going to be okay and he was coming home and and i worked with the national center for missing and exploited children and they told us you know kids kids come home don't give up and so that that became a a critical part of um it for me physically i was uh, i'm diabetic so i had been diabetic for i don't know five years and um, the physical change, the stress, you know, can just mm -hmm. send sugar levels soaring. And I knew that if I wanted to find Jacob, if I wanted to be there for my family, I had to take care of myself and uh, rebuild strength. So step by step. And, we, you know, we got a lot of support from surprisingly law enforcement. I was yeah. probably driving them crazy standing over their shoulder. And it's like, you need to work out. You know, what What did you used to do? And I used to dance. And it's like nothing inside of me wanted to dance again. So um, I started running a little bit and swimming. Um, yeah. I was sharing with you, a friend of mine was uh, in charge of, to worked in the FIAD department at Cold Spring high school. So she would open up the pool and let me swim in that pool, um, just laps for as long as I needed to. And um, it was brilliant. I, I teased her about needing a new filter to get rid of the stress that I'd left behind. <laughs> but physically moving was a big part of, 
of us get regaining strength. So was that true for, um, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I certainly can, can remember the personal fortitude that, that you had, but was that true for the, for your other family members too? Did you see ups and downs differently for them as far as their health was concerned? Yes. And in the other piece that, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we had to, uh, we had to coach our, our kids with, um, was, is, you know, so much of, about health is it's, it's physical, mental, and spiritual. And sometimes kids would say mean things, you know, like my mom says he's dead and you should move on. And so we would have family discussions about how do you respond to comments they're not meant to be mean but yeah. but it can sound and it kid it caught my my daughter the, the youngest off guard she, i had to go pick her up from a camp because somebody had, had said some things that she just wasn't ready to hear and <clears throat> she ended up with a stomach ache and the nurse called and i had to you know re retrieve her from it so we would get we would em empower our kids with you know well that's not what we think or you don't really know that or I think I'll go over here, you know, just some way to get out of a, a situation. So we, we had a lot of family discussions. We had a lot of counseling. Yeah. I had been seeking at that point in time, I, I had been a teacher. So I was, I was trying to figure out now that my kids were all in school, what was I going to do next? And um, so I'd gone to a guidance counselor or not a guidance counselor, a career counselor. And um so I was really receptive to getting help because we were facing something that really no human being should have to face. And it's hard to make sense of anything. For example, um, everybody said to me, I bet you just want to keep your kids, just hold them tight, never let them out of the house again. And for me, it was the opposite. I mm. saw absolute terror in these kids eyes and I didn't want them to be afraid of this big old world out there. You know, I wanted them to, to live freely and have confidence. And so I would have to encourage them. You can go with Candace and her parents will bring you home, hold hands and you'll be okay. And, and to just, you know, give them confidence that, to, that they are, because without a sense of safety, kids can't stand really well. That's, you know, basic need is Pavlov's, you know, hierarchy. Yeah. It's feeling safe. So we had to work on that. I would often drop one of them off at a friend's house, um, turn the corner and just fall apart because it was hard. But but they needed that and, and I wanted them, I wanted them to I, I wanted them to hang on to the world as it had been a little bit as best we could. So um there's a couple of questions that I'll get to in a minute about, you know, kids and their, in their sense of fear after, you know, witnessing or being part of that. I'll get to that in, in a second, but um, I don't even know if this is a fair word to use, but given, given where everything is now, um, has there been some kind of a sense of, of closure or is it always high in your head on what can we do next in this in this um, problem of of abductions and sexual exploitation? 
maybe another way of saying, do you ever give yourself a break, <laughs> you know, health-wise? Um, yes, I do. <clears throat> and I, most of us shy away from the word closure because you really can't go back to who you were. Um, yeah, yeah. It's got answers. I like, I like the word answers a little bit better. And answers help. There was that yeah. nagging, nagging sense of not having the answers was really hard to live with. And I was driven. I was, I was driven by, you know, gather, gathering information. And then with each thing I learned, I was a teacher before, you know, I taught junior high math and I love math because you figure out a problem, there's a, an answer. <laughs> but, but this was something that was, uh, I would gather information and then I had this, this inner drive to have to share that with other parents. And fear is not something that keeps kids safe. Yeah. Um, there's no research showing that scared kids are safer. So we tried really hard to take away the fear and teach kids how to interact with other individuals so that they would know and trust that sense of something's not right here um, and get away from dangerous situations. So taking away the fear was a, a big part of why I would go out and, and speak. Um, yeah. And and I, you know, I, I to this day, I... I still think, you know, it's a, it's a thing that scares parents the most. And yet they believe, you know, it's like fear of strangers. And that we learned is is not the the, the biggest um, source of fear, really. It's most often someone you know that harms a child. Yeah. Somebody knows a child or the family, at least casually. And um, for us, it was a total stranger, but we didn't know that till the very end. Um, so let me let me ask you this because I know we we chatted about this a little bit. Um, this type of situation in abduction, um, as sad as it is, there's also other things that um, parents go through or potentially go through with with children, like illness. Okay, like you know, children will a child might have uh, cancer. Or um, even we're seeing, you know, young people having like heart attacks and, and strokes. Have you ever had a chance to talk with anyone who is dealing with a health issue of their of that type of thing and compare it to a loss like like you went through? Yes, absolutely. And and I I love that. I, you know. There's a, a really sense of um, being alone. Um, you know, I, I was so alone. I didn't know anybody who had a missing child at, at that point in my life. But there's comfort in sharing with other parents their their trauma, their journey, and, and supporting one another. I met a woman whose son was 15. He'd been in a terrible car accident, and he was in a coma. And she said, would you like to, to meet my son? And I was not sure if I, I was strong enough to do that, but it was, we were right across the street from the hospital. So I did, I went in and he was in a coma, but she knew that he knew she was there. He would squeeze her hand yeah, and, and she knew where he was and it gave her, you know, strength to, to visit. And, um, you know, we could support one another. She was, somewhat i it's it's a there's crazy dynamics when you have extreme 
situations, but um, often they'll, you might have somebody who'd lost a child to cancer and, but they, they would say to me, but it's not as bad as, you know, and, yeah. and I, I don't think that's fair to any of us to compare because the loss of a child is that deep, deep, raw, horrible thing. We're not supposed to outlive our children. And um, right. so it, I think acknowledging the, the, the wrongness in the scheme of what we thought life was going to be is it's healthy. It's healthy yeah. to acknowledge. You know, and, so, and I've like met you allude who, to the idea of the kind of the wrong order of right. things. You know, uh, you know, kids are not supposed to die before you, before you do. Okay, I mean, it's just that's oh. just kind of the, the logical <clears throat> order that you think of as a uh, a parent, and that puts stress on it on the whole situation, right. no matter no matter what. It it's, does, um, and there's a. a there's a there's a sense of you know you're supposed to protect your children and then there are mm -hmm. situations that we can't protect our kids from um, yeah, it, it, yeah we just can't so let's talk about um again i'm going to connect this to health advocacy and health what was it about you know well, we can get into the, all the kind of things that you've been involved with but how how was it that the, the advocacy work helped you health-wise? Okay, one second. <clears throat> Keep choking here. <clears throat> um, what happened with me was that I, you know, my being a stay-at-home mom, I, kids were my world. And I believe that children have the right to grow up safe and follow their dreams. And I began, that was a big part of my message. We need to build a world where that protects that. And as you alluded to earlier, child abduction is related to, it's on the, the, the long line of child victimization and, you know, pornography, uh, grooming, sex trafficking, child sexual assault. I mean, they're all along this 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 line of um, child victimization. If we want to stop this, we've got to stop sexual exploitation of children. And to do that, we need to raise kids who would never think to sexually harm a, another person. We have to re we have to raise healthy children with respectful relationship training and yeah. and when when some go astray the the good news is uh, children who've been charged with sexual assaulting somebody else when given treatment they have the highest rate of of success and never repeat lowest rate of recidivism like 97 percent in one study don't reoffend sexually it's it's really rewarding to know that if a child acts out that they can get some help and that's not they're not on a trajectory to be out forever causing harm and so we need to be really cognizant of the big problem i think this is where public health comes in we can't wait till it's this you know we've got to go upstream and and work towards that world. And it is a world that Jacob Newen believed in. He yeah. he was an advocate. We had a lot of great friends and he would come home from school and scream if something wasn't fair. 
you know, it might not have had anything to do with him, but it mattered when something wasn't fair. Um, and he, you know, he would stick up for his, his friends. And, and I, I think that that's a big part of it. The other piece, which kept me sane was the way our community rallied. Everybody yes. came together yes. and kids were jumping rope for Jacob. And when I met with some homeless kids and they were trying to give me their lunch money for the reward and search fund um teachers sent notes from children and the, the notes were so you know never give up stay there for jacob if my parents quit hoping for me i wouldn't want to go home you know yeah. it's like listen listening to their take on the story was really important for me and my advocacy work it's like i'm fighting for that world that they deserve yeah and, and i think and that i kind of i sensed that it provided you with some um energy I did. It it became a a personal battle between him and the bad guy. Like I refused to let him take anything else. You can't have the world that Jacob knew. I'm I will fight for that till forever, you know. Yeah. Do I lighten up on my activities now that I'm old? <laughs> yeah. But I still I I love believing in the world where where kids um can dream and go after their dreams and have the support system and the the, the tools that they need to build a, a healthy, happy life. So, you know, our, our great research crew, and you could probably uh, check in on this to see if, if we're right, but some of the facts that, that um, sad as they may be in the U S a child goes missing or is abducted every 40 seconds. So that's about 2,300 children per day, which is just, I mean, you know, how do people even get their head around that? It's just, the, to me, it's staggering. Um, the FBI estimates that of the approximately 840,000 people reported missing each year, 85 to 90% of them are children, which is yes. just. <laughs> but there's some clarifiers. Um, often, it, it well the most the, the highest category is a runaway child, and that and they are at very high risk, especially in today's world, of being exploited. Somebody offering them shelter for favors or food. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and that's part of giving kids empowerment and knowing how to find resources that are healthier and not not fall for those tricks and, and lures. Most kids are not abducted at gunpoint like Jacob was. Most are tricked or lured into a dangerous situation. And I think many of those are preventable. Watch who's watching your children. If um, my one daughter had a, a coach who would call the girls and ask about their clothing <laughs> and it, it got really one of those trust your gut there was something not mm -hmm. right about this and so we had discussions about you know because I can't be with you know our, our my daughters all the time so what, what should they do when something happens and and having adults that they can talk to and it's not always the parent that kids can go to but trusted adults I used to tell my kids talk to your uncle Russ my brother is a hoot he's mm -hmm. funny he's 
approachable. They could talk to him about anything. And so, you know, giving your kids that, that empowerment. And then of those, you know, the runaway kids, you know, they come home. It's a big challenge for law enforcement because some kids run many times a year. So those numbers capture repeat runners as well. So the the number of abduction, stereotypical abduction is about 1% of all of that. It's the smallest mm. piece. And, and But the thing is, it's the one that has the greatest amount of fear. So we have to watch, num- you know, about stats and numbers and collecting yeah. numbers. They, they've been inflated over time, and then they kind of come back to real- reality. And I think of stereotypical kidnapping. Those have not changed over time. It's pretty, pretty um, much the same each year. It's I'd say it's under 100 that are mm-hmm. stereotypical kidnapping every year. But um, the number of kids exploited, especially with the internet and yeah. um, the so- social media games on online, um, that number is exponential. We have to really be careful about that world that we're introducing our children to at really young ages. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, then it it, it gets into the whole idea of accurate information and information that is not accurate and access to all these different sites, etc. Um, so apparently there are um, benign reasons, I guess they're described as this, benign reasons for um, that children are missing. And then mm-hmm. there are, I guess, serious i guess maybe that's the the word to use but um you know kids will run away right right? okay so that's um um or there's a family abduction right um so and and those are, are i guess relatively benign as opposed to what what you alluded to stranger yeah, but they're correct? but they're also very harmful because you're you're snatching a child from everything they know, from yeah. their their yeah. their pets, their dogs, their friends, their school, their toys, um, their clothes, you know, and and putting them in another world, and it it's really traumatic for these kids. Um, there was a an organization I'm not sure if they're still active called Take Root because mm-hmm. they're uprooted literally, and and once they and then they sometimes get put back with the original parent and um that doesn't always go so easily either because they're manipulated in this process so there are better ways to handle family stress and to stealing a child from from a parent that's that's the one and there are those who have taken the child and and there's it's been a murder or murder suicide and it's like it's horrific um so we can't belittle it's all part of oh the responsibility of parenting and knowing where, where resources are and and not feeling alone there are so many more resources now than yeah. there were in child advocacy centers where you can take a child if they need to see the other parent they can safely do that in a setting that is supervised and um everybody wins the child is safe they both parents get visitation and you can rebuild whatever harm had happened so that there are lots of tools for parents um, 
don't feel there was alone. The other, the other advocacy piece that I was really proud of is I didn't know any other parent. And when I called the National Center for Missing and Exploited, they protected the families they worked with. So they wouldn't give me anybody to talk to. So we yeah. got a federal grant and set up this parent-to-parent -parent mentoring. And I think there were 24 family members that we pulled together um, way back in the early 90s. And they've assisted over, last I saw, 110,000 wow. people to, to just connect. You're not alone. And how do you get through holidays? And how do you deal with your other siblings? And just the media, the law enforcement, it's like we had so much going on and we could share we could share energy and, and build and provide hope. And with that, kids come home. You know, yeah, I've met yeah. Elizabeth Smart, who was gone for nine months. I met J.C. Dugard, 17 and a half years she was gone. I know her mom. Wow. And kids come home. We cannot give up on them just because they've been missing a long time. And so it's one thing to hear their stories. It's another to sit at a table and listen to them and and. And, and feel that that energy and talk about healing. Uh, the Cleveland women who were gone for 10 years reclaimed their lives. It's like they own every minute of every day. Nobody's going to tell them what to eat, what to wear, where to go. You know, they have right, right. Rebuilt, rebuilt their lives and they're phenomenal. That's, so, it, and, you know, and, and those are the, those are happy stories, you know, at the yes. end, you know, it's like, you know, moving on. Yes. So, you know, I want you to, to try to remember, because this kind of stuck in my head. I know Jacob was a part of the story. He was on his bicycle. And, yes. um, okay, so riding a bike for a kid is like holy, right? I mean, it's right, like, yeah. <laughs> all right. Freedom, so, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, right. It's kind of like... <clears throat> When you get to drive a car, okay, same yep. idea. All right, but try to reflect for us a little bit on um, your other children when they faced or took out their bike for the maybe the first time after you know Jacob was was abducted. Was there a sense of of being scared, or I'm not going to do this, or I'm never going to ride a bike again? Or was there any of that? And if so, how as a mother did you help them? Right. Um, I just you know, use I a bike as an illustration. There might have right, been other exactly. things too. I think each time they they start, they did something that used to be normal. There, there was a a pause. Um, yeah. And the bike thing, we live. There's two circles of of houses so they could bike between the two circles and i feel i think a sense of of safety because everybody was it it's that sense of community you know yeah. everybody is there for one another and they knew houses where they could stop and and there would be always somebody caring for them but i did get a letter from a woman who said her, her nephew was four when jacob was kidnapped and he refused to ride his bike uh, he refused to learn how to ride a bike. And when he was 12, his dad took him out and put him on a bike. Mm -hmm. And but his whole, the fear was Jacob was kidnapped while riding his bike. And this, this child was death, deathly afraid of yeah. learning to ride a bike. So um, I guess maybe the takeaway on that is um, everybody 
no matter how old you are, um, deals with this kind of a situation perhaps differently psychologically and and physically. And we all have to kind of um, hug each other and help each other as as you go and as you as like kids mature, you know, even those types of things can kick into gear. So it looks Pat, like um, go, somebody has a question. Yeah, go ahead, Sharon. Yeah. So Patty, you know what's super interesting about that is growing I was born in 1998 and growing up, um one of my best friends lived very close to me and we would bike to in from each other's houses. Uh, it was just a little bit faster. And I do remember when we first started venturing out a little bit further, our parents sat us down and actually talked about this case and said, there are things that you need to be aware of and things that you need to be vigilant about. And I think it was a really good segue for my parents to, uh, both of our parents actually, to sit down with us and just have a general talk about safety. And I think that your you and Jacob's story really sparks a lot of necessary conversation for families. I also want to point out that it sounds like community was crucial for your healing process here. Sounds like community members and just the effort of community coming together. And that's something that's really, I'm passionate about. Um, I study community health promotion. And so it's honestly, it's just really touching to hear that the community could come together um, and help you individually, help your family, help other kids feel safe, and figure out how to um, tackle these problems as a community. I just wanted to note that. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. And one one of the things that I, I talk to parents about, it kind of goes to your question, Stan. I, you start by, you know, it's like, yes, you can ride over to Jason's house. Call me when you get there. You know, you, you have rules and let me, one time I dropped, this was scary to me. I dropped Trevor off at a dance at North Junior High. And when I went to pick him up two hours later, he wasn't there and the school was dark. And he's, I was, I was freaked out as you can imagine. Um, Cause of course Jacob was already missing and now I didn't have a clue where Trevor was. And, um, he came running or running behind the building and he said, you know, not hardly anybody showed up for the dance. So they closed it early. So I went over to so-and-so's house and just stayed there until, until it was time. And I said, Trevor, that's, that's great. That's really smart. Call me. You know, I really <laughs> didn't know where you were. I had no idea. And if, if you hadn't come back at this time, I would have no, no idea. And that was scary to me. You know, parents yeah. can be scared too. <laughs> so you build that that trust and communication. And then to your comment earlier, I think it's what you won't talk about with kids that scares them the most. So yeah. having conversations and building, I like to encourage parents, let your child at young ages pay for something in the grocery store. If they want candy, then they pay the clerk. They learn how to interact with, with people through through doing things and they gain confidence and that helps keep them safe as well sorry um, you know you know it's interesting my um you know our kids you know janet's and my uh, kids yeah are grown they're adults but they come and visit okay and and inevitably when they come and visit then they go out with you know their friends that they grew up with here and to this day janet and I will say, listen, when you come home, 
just let us know that you're you're here or if and and you know keep in mind one of them lives in bethesda and the other one lives in boston we have absolutely no clue what's going on normally but when they're in your own environment it's right. like that parent extra sense kicks into gear and you just need to know that they're safe yes and it's a respectfulness a thoughtfulness you know but it's hard when they get to those ages you know, 18 to 25 or six, mm -hmm. they're not that prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. Exactly. And they're not always thinking about, about mom and dad or consequences and all of that. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's, you never stop parenting. You never do. So let me, and that's let a me, good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's what we're supposed Connect to do, right? <laughs> and we're never, and we're not, and we're not experts at it, so we keep kind of trying, you know. Um, right. So, over the years, you've helped pass a variety of of uh, bills, legislation, um, state level, national level. Um, can you reflect on that a little bit and um, what implications this has for people's health? and safety going forward? That's a really good question. Thank you. Um, one of the first things that we worked on, I asked law enforcement, what would have helped? What would what would mm -hmm. you need to, to respond quicker and better? And um, as you know, the AMBER plan came out later um, with AMBER Hagerman in Texas was missing and they, they activated the media immediately. And um, that became a, a national program, which was really good. Minnesota had, our, we had, I met Amber's mom and we had that going before there was a national um, initiative to make it, um, everybody having it. But I asked them what else they would need. And, and there were two things. We did not have a central repository of information in Minnesota for law enforcement. And they were building it at the time, but I think it helped expedite getting that finished. But the other one was sex offender registry, and it would help law enforcement to know who's done this before in the past. And it, it's I, I think it's a law, a good law enforcement tool. But when it became um, community notification, so everybody knows about these people, it got a little more complicated. And I yeah. think that we need to we need to revisit what part of this is working, what part of this is interfering with with people. Uh, building a better life. Maybe they made a mistake when they were 17, but they're 27 now and want to start a family and whatever. Are we restri restricting their the possibility of them going forward? What really troubled me was we passed this law. So there's sex offender registry in all 50 states, but then they started um, strengthening it, thinking, you know, this is, this is a tool and they made it harsher and harsher and, and started registering children. Children as young as 10 years old are on the sex offender registry in Minnesota. Wow. I, I was shocked. I didn't, yeah. I did not. And because I just said they're the best recipients of getting treatment and the least likely to reoffend. So why yeah. would we, that's like a life sentence if they, if you put a child on a registry. Yeah. So I've been working really hard. That's not the best manner of uh, dealing with a child who acts out sexually that let's get them some help change the trajectory, change, give, give them some resources and better ways of interacting with one another. So um, I think that it, it's, 
if you pass laws that you need to revisit and see what part needs to be um, changed or revised to make it better. Um, and that this is certainly one that I still think it's a good law enforcement tool, mm -hmm. but some, sometimes people act out on it stupidly and, and uh, burn down houses of somebody yeah. or, you know, cause cause other harm and that that's not what you want and it kind of gets back to community um in the native community they have healing circles somebody does wrong they bring people together and they make sure that this person stays on the path that they're supposed to be it can be um healthier for everybody so uh, there's there's a lot i've learned along the way there's no magic pill there's no one easy thing that will fix all of it but i i do believe it is building better citizens and having kids that after Jacob was found, it's a, it's a great story. The, uh, one of my friends at the national center called her office and her nephew wanted to put 11 on his cheek because that was Jacob's Jersey number mm -hmm. and um, asked if for permission to do that for a soccer tournament in Maryland or Virginia it was right around the DC area. And we thought it was a great idea and our, but our office thought it'd be good if it stood for something. Um, so they put together all the 11 things they've heard me say over and over that, that Jacob knew and believed in. Um, can I read them to you? Sure. <laughs> it's just uh, be fair, be kind, be understanding, be honest, be thankful be a good sport, be a good friend, be joyful, be generous, be gentle with others, and be positive. And I truly believe if we taught our kids to do these 11 things, that we would build kids who wouldn't harm another, and and we would have um, more peaceful communities. So and those I was are at great school. discussion pieces. Just oh my think God. about it's that. You know, just Parents, around a dinner table, you can, all right, let's take right. one they, of these, you know. And I get a card from one of Amy's friends every year. She has her kids. Well, the first year I was like, what does it mean to be fair? What does it mean to be kind? And they each had a little explanation, you know, sitting by a new kid in the in the school at lunchtime. You know, just, I was at one school and there was a sign in the back. They'd all made posters and it said, be gentle with others. It was really messy. I went up close and these kids had made it out of brown band-aids on blue construction mm. paper. Be gentle with others. Kids get it. They want that. They want to be good friends. And I just think it's nurturing how we want them to be instead of just saying, don't do this and don't bully and don't do, you know, it's like, be kind, be understanding. Yeah. And it is great discussion. I hear from parents and kids all the time that it's helpful. So let me ask you, there, there's, um, you know, Sheridan is, is you know, a younger generation and uh, and there are many people that, that weren't aware of your, your story, but um, it's not so much the story now, it's kind of the things that are, we're taking and going forward with. So one that really I, I applaud are um, Amber Alerts. All of a sudden, you know, a kid is missing and there's an amber alert that's put out. And I it's really interesting. I might be in a car or or what have you, and I'll hear this, and all of a sudden it's like this heightened sense 
of awareness. And all of a sudden, it's like, yes, for all of us, there's this extra sense that's put into high gear in order to really help this situation. So based on, on your experience with Amber Alerts, have they been successful? Absolutely. Yes, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but yeah. um, I think the National Center for Missing and Exploited or the Office of Justice Programs has has numbers of them. And it is brilliant. It's getting people while they're out they're driving or they're on, they got their headset on while they're running and they're, they're looking. And I know cases in Minnesota where one child was looking out the window and she saw the car, you know, called her mom in and, and they, they reported it. Um, it's, it, it's empowering people to be part of the solution. And, um, it's it's brilliant and it works. And I actually know one other case in Minnesota where a child was missing and it was an older guy um, mm -hmm. that she was not supposed to be hanging with. And everybody texted him. It's like, dude, everybody's looking for you. Let her off. And he did. He let her go. And and um, she was safe. It, you know, so it, it's like using the tools we have. Social media Correct. is out there where people are. And it gets, I've been in stores where an Amber thing went on. All of a sudden, everybody's looking at their phone. And it's, it's it, it just made me smile. You know, yeah. Your child, oh, yeah. Know? I mean, that's and, the way and, kids come home is when somebody knows the story and they see something. And it's like um, how it is that we can use uh, technology yes. to our to our advantage at the, at this point. You know, it's, so yeah. I, right, um, Patty, in our in our few minutes that we have together, um, tell us a little bit about your book. The book was for me. You know, I was charging forward for 27 years. I was just driven. Um, and it was a chance to reflect. I kind of like look back at what just what just happened. I really felt when Jacob was found, I went through a um, horrific feeling of failure. It's like, well, what was that all about? I lived my whole life searching. My whole career, 27 years is a career, you know, and didn't get the answers we wanted. So I had to look at where we had come and what had happened and what things are better and just reflect on the whole journey. It was very therapeutic for me. Every A lot of people thought it would be too painful, but I'd already lived through it. So it was just like making meaning of something that I couldn't make meaning of at the time. So that was good. Joy Baker was a big part of helping us find the answers because she was asking questions nobody had asked. Mm. And she found those other victims who had told the police, but nothing had been investigated way back in Painesville in, in 1987. You know, it was a different world then. But when they started coming forward and sharing their story, it opened up. Um, the answers. That's how we got this guy to come forward. And so she was very helpful. Um, we started writing before Jacob was found and it was yet another tool to keep everybody looking. And then when he was found, I just quit writing. I was like, done. I, I, I right. lost yeah. about two years. I, it takes time. You have to give yourself time and right. everybody else right. went back to work, but that was my work. And I, it was, I, I, I quit doing a lot of the things that I had done for a while. Um, I still kept up with law enforcement trainings because they need to know how to interact with families because they, they absolutely are lifesavers to the families. 
and and the keeping them going. So I, I did that. But anyway, the, when he was found, then it became a different book. So we almost had to start over. And Joy was really good. It's like, tell me about growing up. You know, what was your mom like? You know, so I started writing about things that were fun and happy memories. And and then she would, she would just give me little note cards or assignments. <laughs> and so we built our way back. And um, I'm proud of the book. I think it's a story of hope and resilience and persistence. And everybody, I was just a stay-at-home mom. I think a lot of people need to know that they can do it, that you can do this. If you see something and it needs change, you can be the that change agent. It doesn't take college degrees or special anything. It takes commitment and heart. Follow your heart. And that I think we need to do for children more and more. So it, it really helped us. And then when doing the book signings, it was a sense of community that we were talking about earlier. People have overwhelmingly shown up and the stories that they share are heartwarming. It's like, you helped me process this. I had a long conversation with now 11-year-old son. Many of the kids are now parents of 11-year-olds and um, they have to deal with their own, you know, memory of missing their their buddy and um and now parenting their own children so it's it's an opportunity to have discussions build safety into their world uh keep open communication so it's been really heartwarming um to get the book out the u.s attorney read <laughs> andy luger read the book three times and he had a whole list of pages <laughs> of how how can we do this better and yeah. he invited joy and i and jared and the other victim and my husband to present to his staff because how that's how you make things better is yeah. revisiting what was and and what it's not faulting i can't fault law enforcement for what they did in 1987 or 89 with today's standards we didn't have those tools right right they did a phenomenal job and they never quit yeah that's the other message is like don't give up life's hard but but stay in there if it's if it's worth fighting for. And to me, the eleven thing was um, important because it got us gave us a chance to celebrate how Jacob lived, not how he was taken, not how he died. But this this is the boy that I knew. Yeah. I can hear him. I can hear his voice. I can hear him. You know, saying something wasn't fair. You know, <laughs> this kid got in trouble and he didn't even pass the note. You know, it's like whatever right. it was. So, you know, I, I think it's important for our listening audience to realize, too, that um, change um, doesn't necessarily have to be linked with an event that happens. OK, like um, in your case, obviously, it did. It did, Patty, and uh, led to incredible advocacy work. But um, there could be situations that you, you just come across and you say, geez, you know, that's not right. right. And you can go forth with it. Okay. It doesn't have to be something that, that really hits you really hard. I can reflect on one. I, a, a colleague of mine, we were, um, we were seeing a kid in a car with no seatbelts and no child restraints. And, and, you know, they come to a stoplight and they, you know, the parents put on the brakes 
and you know the kid goes flying in the car and we're saying whoa yeah we can wait do better a minute here something you know of course we had kind of our public health hats on and um you know lo and behold there's child restraint laws and and seatbelt laws okay so it it doesn't necessarily have to be an event per se it's something that you might see or or what have you and it doesn't have to be necessarily traumatic uh, um as well but they they all have public health implications and i'm sure for you patty um if you make a difference for one family then i'm sure you have that sense that your work has been fulfilled for sure okay if it's just one even you know it's just that's what it's one all child about yeah exactly one child one child you know it's, yeah it's like you're you're presenting opportunities in a in a path and a vision that's different than what they saw before and i yeah i love that sense of community coming together and i think our world is thirsty for that once again oh no we're kidding all together on this planet and we can build great things when we work together and i we experienced it we my strength i didn't do any of the things that you gave me credit for alone i was nurtured and and supported by agencies and individuals and community members and um we need that we need to rebuild that that's what this country was formed on and and what um i think it's the glue Yeah. it's the hole Yeah, in the I've been saying I've been saying to a lot of people with all the problems that are going on in the world, wouldn't it be great if we just had a chill out day, international yeah chill out day where, okay, come on, we're all Yeah. on this planet together. Let's come on, we can do this. You know? Yeah. I think that's the vision I share with you. It, it's Yeah, uh it's that just is like, public health. yeah, yes, it absolutely is. Final thoughts, Patty. What what's a takeaway that maybe one or two that you really want? our listening audience to to know or to sense going forward To me it's it's belief. Believe in the world as you want it to be. And then you can take the steps to getting there. But if you lose hope, um, you don't have that that clarity of, of vision. And I I think that we need to honor children because they are <laughs> the future and they can given well, we've got so many tools for them now. Uh the Search Institute has all kinds of things that kids need to be healthy and strong. And we can build those if we pay attention. It's not about the money. It's not about the title or the, you know, power. It is really about the nurturing of one another and caring for one another and believing um, in that and people that it, you interact with. Well, I will say this. Well, these years, um, you've carried that torch beautifully, absolutely beautifully. And um, and I, for one, just as a, as as a um, as a colleague, I want to really, really thank you. Um, Thank you. you've done incredible work, and um, it came from sadness, but. you made that sadness into something that's good. And um, I'm sure I speak for a lot of people when I say thanks, many, many thanks. So um, we have, ironically, we have an interesting show coming up next for Health Chatter on unintentional injuries for children. 
that are happening with with children with Dr. Tom Kotke. He'll be he'll be coming with us next. We have great shows for the rest of the year lined up, and so we hope that all of you will continue to listen, check out our website, and keep health chatting away.